Now, I don't know how prepared I am on that, but... <laughs> well, well, we'll just chatter a bit like we normally mm -hmm. do, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. As long as we don't start talking about uh, horses and uh, chiropractors, I think we'll be okay. <laughs> no problem. He, lo he loved horses. <laughs> <laughs> and he had a chiropractor. Ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt this podcast to bring you some incredible news. We are under attack. Never before has this reporter seen such devastation, such destruction. Ladies and gentlemen, I fear the time has come for assault of the two-headed space mules. So grab a can of fermented weed and listen up. It may just save your life. Assault of the Two-Headed Space Mules. I'm your host, Douglas Arthur, and tonight with me uh, we have um, Michael Noble out there on the uh, left coast. Say hi to the folks, Michael. Hi, folks. This is Michael. Hey there. All right. You sound clear tonight. Better than usual, actually. And uh, we have uh, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons from uh, beautiful downtown St. Paul, Min uh, Minnesota. <laughs> yes, that's it. That's the one. <laughs> And yes, hi. Hi, guys. As opposed to the other uh, St. Paul. And uh, rounding out the uh, the trio uh, of the infamous Gooch squad uh, that, <laughs> that, I, that I put together uh, is uh, the, uh, the lovely and talented uh, Brian Curtis uh, from down there in Nashville, Tennessee. How are you doing tonight, Brian? Do, doing good. How's everybody doing? Uh, I know I was in the Gooch squad. Didn't the Gooch beat up Arnold on different strokes? Uh, yes, yes. And oh, okay. Gooch, in this case, stands for Gang of uh, Occasional Co-Hosts. Okay, wow. I like that better. That's right. I didn't recall that. I just, I just didn't <laughs> want to get beat up by, you know, Arnold's bully on different strokes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so um, I've gathered uh, I've gathered the uh, the, uh, the the gang uh, tonight to talk about um, Bernie Wrightson, who we you know lost uh, earlier this week. Uh, he was uh, one of the uh, most talented comic artists uh, probably ever, um, and uh, you know we're just going to talk about his legacy a bit because I think he really affected. Uh, comics in a big way and maybe doesn't quite get the hype of you know someone like a will eisner but uh he he certainly added quite a bit to um you know the uh the lexicon of of, of comics um over the years so um jim uh why don't we why yeah. don't we start with you uh and okay. uh, maybe you can talk a little bit about uh you know his art and uh, you know what what it meant to you. Uh, I, I know you uh, posted up a blog post um, yesterday or the day before on mm -hmm. on uh, on your uh, on your blog post about uh, about Bernie. Um, so, um, you know, what what are your thoughts on on his legacy? Well, one of the things that uh, you know, I'm a cartoonist as well, and one of the things that amazes me about him is that he's largely untrained, uh, self-taught. <clears throat> he did that uh, famous artist course 
the correspondence thing, which I thought was you know, bullshit. Right, right, but right. Yep. apparently, it was a really it was a real thing, and uh, he did that. But he didn't. There wasn't a day to day going and and working in an art school environment or something like that. So, and I guess some artists are just good enough that they don't really need that. I mean. Uh, one point I made in my blog about about him was that you know I I went to art school it made me a better artist and I'm even better than I was after I finished art school you know I'm better today but I'd be flattering myself to think it, I was a quarter as good of an illustrator as this guy was it just his command of of, of different mediums he could do pen and ink and brush ink and he just and and he'd do do a tone, uh, half toning kind of thing. He he did one piece or several pieces, I guess, <clears throat> where he would do an ink drawing. You do the ink it out, and then he would color it, so to speak, in different shades of gray marker. And using marker takes its own talent. It, it's, it's 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 its own yeah. set of rules and how to make it work properly. Yeah. The guy was just. Amazing! I've been going back and looking through his work, and it's just—it's just astounding how good he was. Yeah, no, I I totally agree. Uh, you know, even from the from the very beginning, it was like he was almost fully formed in his, um, you know, genius, as it were. I mean, um, you look at some artists, and they and you can see them grow. You know, mm-hmm. from the, they start, you look at like a you know, Frank Miller, for example, sure. um, you know, and of course, you know, we've seen his deterioration. Yeah. That happens well. too with other, with uh, artists. I, he, he, uh, like someone like George Perez, when he first showed oh, up in Marvel George comics, yeah, yeah. when he first showed up, he, he was good, but then he got so much better. And he was one of those artists that yeah. kind of continued to get better even into his older days. I don't think, I don't know if he ever had that, that precipitous drop off that some artists will have, like you were saying, like Frank Miller yeah. uh, just kind of did that. And I don't think Wrightson ever had that. I don't, his, um, his Batman, the cult mm. series that he did is a, like a three issue or four issue thing. Um, he, 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 superheroes weren't exactly his, his bailiwick. No. Uh, but, Batman kind of fits in with what he does, you know, the macabre and horror. So it, it kind of worked, but it wasn't quite his top level of stuff. I made that point in the blog too. Right. Uh, but his the, the the color work he did on the cover, especially book number three, there's a face of a guy that's about to get punched by by uh, Batman. That's just it's just brilliant. And uh, it, I I don't know I don't I don't know if it's just because he was older when he did that piece or if it's just like the superhero thing wasn't quite his thing. But uh, he, I don't know. Did you, did he ever have kind of a drop off? Did you guys notice anything in his work? No. If you talk about drop off, though, I noticed Neil Adams. Some of his newer stuff doesn't have that that polish that his older stuff does. But Bernie Wrightson, I mean, a lot of his stuff. I mean, there's so much detail in it. It's like you know, that's one of those things. I'm not an artist. I don't even claim to be. And then so, but it's like when I look at those and I'm like, can't compete. Don't even try. <laughs> Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's, like, it, it, it's astounding to me that, you know, one of his crowning achievements uh, was, you know, um, he did the, um, uh, the, the Frankenstein uh, yeah. book um, where he did like 50 illustrations for Mary Shelley's novel. And 
he did that not long after he started in comics. It, the project apparently took him about seven years, and I think it came out there in the maybe like 1979, 1980, thereabouts. Because mm-hmm. I, I remember he came to um, uh, a Fanacon here in Albany, and, and I want to say it was like 1980, 1981, and um, you know he was he was the featured guest. And Frankenstein had just come out, so it was probably in that era. But you know, he said the project took him about seven years, so that would have been go back to like 1973. And you know, when when did Swamp Thing come out? I mean, that was like 1971. So he mm-hmm. was, I mean, he had just started uh, in comics, and, and you look at some of those illustrations, and it's like, my God, you know, he he just had an amazing talent for um, creating uh, density in his material with just using you know different varying line weights he had mm-hmm. such an incredible control um, in fact I remember showing the Frankenstein some of the Frankenstein artwork to my art teacher in high school and he initially thought they were woodcuts and mm-hmm. uh, and <laughs> And and they weren't. When I told him they were pen and ink, he was he was kind of flabbergasted. He's like, "There's no way that's pen and ink." <laughs> you know. Well, the weird thing about that too is that with you know, just as a fan of Frankenstein, I was always you know when you when I was a kid, it was always you know the Universal movies, but that was like my second exposure. Even before I read the novel, I knew that that was Frankenstein. Yeah. It was Bernie Wrightson's drone. But I thought they were woodcut. Even as a kid, before I even knew who he was, I thought those were like the original illustrations for the novel. <laughs> right. They, they do they have look... a sense of time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They... Mm-hmm. Well, I, I had read that uh, one of the things that um, he wanted to accomplish with that was he, he did want to try to emulate um you know the the types of illustrations that you could find back in the day that the, the that the book was originally written. So he wanted it to look, um, you know, like it was a, a woodcut, even though it wasn't a woodcut. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and he only used uh, you know uh, materials that that were available then. You know, uh, you know, like a dip pen and and a, and brush and a, and a brush. So it wasn't. You know, he wasn't using modern, you know, technical pens or any of any of that stuff um, when he was creating that. He really wanted to try to capture, you know, that, you know, the, that time, uh, you know, in the artwork. And I think he, <laughs> I think he succeeded pretty well with those. Um, so, uh, you know, Michael, we haven't heard from from you yet. Uh, what what is what, what have you got uh, for us? Yeah. Well, a couple of things. I want a little. I want to go through a little bit of history of of, um, of uh, rights and, and when I met him and one thing. But Jim brought up something that I have a question about. Um, you know, I I knew that uh, that Bernie had taken that correspondence course, and I I want to I want you to elaborate just a little bit, Jim. Did you know about that uh, particular uh, correspondence course? Um, something that you looked into when you read that he had done it you said it was bullshit it, 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 do you think the I, course, th- course was bullshit I thought it or the was or what? 
I thought it. I thought it was. I always looked at the um, the ad in the comic book, and they'd have it on the back page most of the time. There'd be Norman Rockwell or some other artist, uh, and Norman Rockwell was one of the founding artists of that school. And but I just I always thought it was you know you know ads and magazines and that time and comic books. I just I I guess it was guilt by association of the other stuff that would be that you'd find in advertised in comic books. You know X-ray specs. We know they don't work. You know that kind of thing. So I always kind of thought that. I don't know. This 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 doesn't seem legit to me. So, in pre- in preparation for this, and and I, I looked up the school. It's actually a legitimate endeavor. Uh, you join the course, and back in the 1950s, I think when it started, it'd be it'd be 200 bucks for a course, and you would be you'd be given an assignment. Uh, you'd buy the supplies through them. You do the assignment. You send it back in. A professional artist would critique you, and and you would go back and forth that way. Um, so this when isn't I was the saying, one with the the turtle and the pirate, right? I don't. I it. I no, don't draw, think it's the same thing. I don't think so. Oh, okay. And so maybe that also kind of I have that same kind of feeling that that was probably crap too, um, and that kind of affected what I was thinking here. But um, my point being is it's that it that uh, Wrightson was just so good. That he could essentially teach himself how to do this stuff. I mean, yes, he was getting some professional critiquing and some help, but he didn't have like, you know, I went to art school each day, five days a week for six hours a day or whatever it was. And I had art teachers looking over my shoulder every day and give me, you know, instruction and how to improve and all that. This guy, even even though he had some critiquing being done of his work, he still had to kind of sit and do it on his own. And and it's amazing how good the guy is! Yeah. I, I wonder if he had been trained formally, you know, what how that would have affected what we would see from his stuff. And and I wondered the same thing quite a while back too. Um, I, I had touched upon some of this history and how he got into it, and I agree with you in that. Um, I just think he had an innate talent to be able to, to do what he did as well as he did learning throughout the process but by the same token he took these correspondence courses learned from other artists and this that and the other picked up their tricks their little you know tricks of the trade and whatnot and just expounded on those things and he wasn't uh you know he i i don't know i wish i would have known a little bit more about that when i actually met him i would have would have asked him a little bit more about this correspondence course but i really think that he thought that this was a legitimate thing that he could actually learn from and uh, you know, pick up some things and go from there. But I, I have a tendency to agree with you. He was just that good. I mean, it yeah. shows. It shows in his artwork. Well, it's, it said his other. You know, along with that course, he just studied comic books. He studied right. what was being done. Yeah, yeah. And, that, and that was that it, was his biggest teacher right there. You know, just reading books and you know, picking up uh, what other artists had done. And mm-hmm. um, he was a huge, huge fan of Frank Frazetta. And, mm-hmm. and I think you can Who's kind of... not? Yeah, oh, man. Exactly. And I think you can see that oh, influence yeah. in his art, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, do you guys see, like, a pattern with a lot of these people, like Frank Frazetta and Bernie Wrightson, and even people like Frank Miller, is that they learned from the thing that they liked. Like, it was pulp novels or comics, or it's like they studied what it is, as opposed to going to school and learning te- technique. They, they learned on the thing itself. Yeah, um, probably, yeah. Right. I think a lot of those early guys, that's yeah. essentially how they had to learn. Yeah. yeah. Uh, when I went to art school, they didn't have a, any kind of cartooning class. They didn't. They, they didn't have. I had, you know, 
the school hired people that were in the profession. You know, so if you had an illustration class, you had an illustrator teaching the class. Right. And there were a few of us uh, going there that were cartoonists. And they, you know, I had a couple of uh, instructors, one in particular, say to me, he says, you know, I, I, I really, I don't know how to teach you how to cartoon, but I can teach you how to draw. And so I think, you know, if you get better at drawing, it's got to help improve your cartooning. It's you just, you know, and that's <laughs> kind of what I did. So I didn't have anything, you know, I didn't have the school like the Joe Kubert school right. um, or the, uh, didn't John Basima have one too? Mm-hmm. Uh, a school for teaching you how to do sequential stuff and that. And I, I think yeah. those early guys, you know, the, the way early guys had to invent the, the form. Right. And then the next wave that came in after them was learning from from that. And it took a while before now now you have schools. I don't know if they still exist, but you would have yeah. schools yeah. that would actually teach their students how to draw comic books and sequential art. Yeah, the, uh, the Kubert School still up and running. Uh, Joe passed away a couple of years ago, um, mm-hmm. but I think his sons um, are involved in running it now um and uh, actually up in vermont uh steve Bissett is involved in uh in a school up there the center for cartoon studies and that's been around for 10 12 years now mm-hmm. um so you know they've um i've been toying with the idea of they they've run like summer workshops for like a week i've been toying with the idea of going up there for a week Mm-hmm. Um, cause I think it would be fun, uh, <laughs> fun to do that. Um, didn't, didn't Rick do some of the Kubert school too? Uh, Rick graduated, uh, from Kubert school in 1986. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of people have uh, Amanda Connor. She's yeah. kind of big right now. She graduated from it. I think, um, I think Rick was, she was a classmate of my brother's actually. The name sounds familiar. Oh, very so, cool. Yes, Yes, it does. Eric Shanauer was another one that he went to, yeah. went to school with. Wow. Cool. Um, you know, I know he's kind of made a name for himself. Um, yep. There was a and even the brothers, of, the Kubert brothers, are, I think they still teach there, don't they? Yeah. And, yeah. Andy and Adam. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm just trying to think of some of the other people that my brother went to school with, but... Um, um, you know, there's, you know, it, it, it. You're right. I mean, back in the '60s, there, <laughs> it really wasn't much other than those correspondence courses. Um, you know, for for aspiring artists. Well, well, even in the on the writing spectrum, when I was in college, you know, I wanted my my minor was creative writing because I wanted to do comics, and it was still at that time looked down upon. Oh sure. You know, <laughs> I had to write about you know. Angry professionals that, that hated life and didn't want to. <laughs> yeah, I remember fighting against that in college too. Like I took some creative writing courses as a, you know, some of my electives, and you know, everybody else was writing. We're, we're all English majors, and I was mm-hmm. not, and so I didn't really care <laughs> as far as that goes. So I, I remember writing like. Uh, uh, I I actually wrote like a a daredevil story, <laughs> except oh, very cool. except it was just like uh, Matt Murdock. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I did him as you know blind attorney, um, but still with you know his superpowers. But I tried I tried to kind of downplay the superpower aspect a little bit because I didn't want to get too far afield of the teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, all of my stories seem to have a little of of a you know. Uh, a different kind of a pulpy uh, bent to them. <laughs> See, but that's the cool thing about comics, and even with people like Bernie Wrightson, it's that when you're coming into it, you're making the rules. 
Exactly. You know, it's like, what would any artist say that Bernie Wrightson or Frank Frazetta was not good at their art? They would be totally wrong. It's like, look at the, look at look at what they made. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, I, I I think despite the fact that Bernie seemed to gravitate toward and you know be proficient in the um, horror genre, uh, you know, I think his style. Um, really he I think he really kind of influenced a lot of people that kind of came after him I mean he, he, oh, kind, definitely. Of, he kind of broke in there in the late 60s or early 70s um, and mainly with with horror comics mm-hmm. um, but you know his stuff was just so good you know he, he had a great sense of lighting um, to his work and um, you know which most people weren't really uh, <laughs> weren't really dealing with, but you know he kind of came in maybe like just after Jim Steranko kind of hit, um, you know, in the mid mid to late '60s there, mm-hmm. um, and so I think um, you know he uh, he really kind of helped propel things forward. It's similar like um, Neil Adams kind of came in at around that time too. See, so, and that's my Batman. Yep. It was always Neil Adams. I always uh-huh. gravitate towards the Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams Batman. Yeah, they've they've. I I still remember. Um, I think probably one of my favorite one favorite stories was uh, there was like he was battling some kind of a werewolf or something, and uh, I I just remember he like stabbed him with these steel rods and got struck by lightning and fried him or something. <laughs> Cool. It was. It was such a, luck. It was. It was pretty. Uh, it was pretty. Uh, pretty gruesome, but but uh, but cool. Uh, see, and I still see Bernie's influence on uh, Kelly Jones. Oh yeah. Kelly. Oh yeah. A heavy influence there. Yes. Very, very, very much so. And even you look at stuff like um, who was the guy that did uh, the Max? Was that uh, Sam Keith? Sam Keith. I, he, yeah. He's definitely got got a bernie writes an influence on him mm-hmm. as well it's that it's that the it's light and heavy pencils like i don't I, I know just enough about art to get myself in trouble but <laughs> i like the pictures but but you're right though it's like if i even see it in simon bisley mm. oh mm-hmm. yeah a little bit yeah. not as much but yeah no no i i totally i totally see that i totally see that because i swear bernie writes did judge dread but he didn't it was, it was bisley mm-hmm very, very true. So I guess uh, you know that kind of brings us to the point where we should maybe talk about some of the uh, projects that he's worked on over the years that maybe you know we we kind of look at, look at as being uh, kind of landmarks in the in, in the comics field. So I mean, obviously, first and foremost, I mean, aside from his very gorgeous uh, you know. Uh, horror stories that he did early on. He was also uh, kind of came to prominence as the uh, co-creator of Swamp Thing. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, back <laughs> and that was like, what, 1971, 72, mm-hmm. somewhere in that range? Um, and that that was, you know, he only, I think, wind up wound up doing like 10 issues, but it I mean, those 10 issues pretty much, you know what, I, I don't think there would have been Vertigo comics That's or, very true. or any of that without Swamp Thing. Um, and it, Sam Keith did the early Sandman, so you can see that, that, that art link there. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, 
So, but he created Anton Arcane too, didn't he? Yep, Arcane was was early on. Uh, the idea of the green and um, yeah, I mean there were a lot of the, a lot of that stuff was established in those first ten issues with uh, with uh, Len Wayne. As and Len Wayne, he 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 didn't he create who else? He he created Wolverine. Yeah, didn't he? right. Yeah, I okay. think I think he did. Yeah, um, on you know in the in the Hulk series. Yeah. Yeah. I love Swamp Thing growing up. It's like I, I got that stuff. I got Swamp Thing from the movie, which is sad. <laughs> but when I was a kid, I loved it. Well, you, you know, actually, if you go back and listen to our um, our our greatest superheroes pod superhero movie podcast, I think the uh, Swamp Thing movie actually ranked pretty highly. Actually, okay, um, going it back. was pretty good. Wes Craven. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, exactly. That, that sequel should be burned. <laughs> and, and taken from the earth. Yeah, that was uh, Jim Wynarski, who is probably famous for uh, Hollywood Chainsaw Hookers, I think was his big... There note. you go. <laughs> oh, that one, that classic. <laughs> Biggest Oscar snub ever. With uh, with Linneo Quigley. Uh, <laughs> hey, now, uh, that, that, that's pure 80s right there. Now now we're talking exactly. late-night USA shows. The, speaking you... of that, I remember the Swamp Thing TV show. Yeah, yeah. One day across from the, the, the quad, I screamed at one of my friends. Um, this is how much of a nerd I was because I loved the TV show. And he was the only person I knew that liked it. And I just screamed real loud, get out of my swamp with your evil. <laughs> <laughs> he loved it. And I was like, uh, yeah, buddy. Uh, I think, I don't know. I, I mean, <laughs> it, as as campy and as wonderful as as that uh, first Swamp Thing movie was, I think the, the, the best part about it was Adrian Barbeau uh, uh, mm. taking her bath there. <laughs> These are the, that's the, I was thinking about this the other day. Movies like that I watched as a kid, and I don't remember any of that stuff. So I don't know if it was like self-censorship or if my parents just fast-forwarded through everything. It's so like I watched Conan in college, and I'm like, I missed a lot of this movie. I, you know what it is? It probably is that I I discover I I, I did the same thing. Like when I rewatched uh, Greece uh, when I was older, it's like uh-huh. I, I think you, some of the stuff you just don't get when you're yeah. you know, eight, nine, ten. You know, when, when I when why? I went back, because you don't, <laughs> because you don't ignorance is bliss. That's why exactly. There's, there's part of that. I watched RoboCop when I was a kid. Yeah, RoboCop. Oh yeah. You see, like Red Foreman from '70s show, like get splattered on a windshield. Yeah, so that's the move. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. But, but yet, Swamp Thing. It's like, and again, it's like all these. It's I think comics is at its str- strongest when you know the archetypes. And to me, Swamp Thing is one of the the horror superhero archetypes. Oh, absolutely. And that's like one of the first I ever remember. And you know, that, that made me think of the Phantom Stranger and, and all that stuff because I always liked horror and I always liked superheroes. So Swamp Thing always gravitated towards him. Well, you know, it's it's funny, um, you know. There's actually precedent for Swamp Thing character. Um, if you go back to like the 40s, there was a character called the Heap. Um, oh man! Which was I, I want to say it was in like Airboy comics or something, um, and and it was a similar theme. A guy, you know, pilot crash lands into a a swamp and and winds up turning into this kind of you know a heap. heap. 
he turned into a heap, uh, and and so he was kind of you know like a muck encrusted uh, guy that wandered around and fought crime. Um, but you know, uh, I I I have to try and you know find some of that. I'm sure some of those stories are reprinted online somewhere. I can read them, but. Uh, I remember reading about the heap that the heap existed, but you know I don't I haven't af- actually read too many of those stories. Um, so it, did the swamp thing predate man thing? Well, that's that's a bit of a no, controversy. No, man thing did. Um, okay. Yeah, I, Jim or not Jim, uh, Michael. I, I think you mentioned uh, pre pre tape here that you wanted to talk about the controversy be- be behind swamp thing and man thing. Yeah, I do, and a couple other things. I'm gonna, if I could, you know, kind of flip the switch here a little bit and go back kind of a, a sure. history of my um, uh, my discovering uh, uh, Bernie Wrights, and it it, it it kind of goes along with my history of comics and whatnot. And I'll try not to be too long, but when I was a kid, obviously, um, where I got my comic, where I started my comic reading from, was obviously the funny papers, Peanuts and Alley Oop and. Yeah. You know, little Abner and stuff like that. And that was the first time as a kid I recognized um, an artist's signature. Uh, not his signature, not, not his name specifically, but, but the way he drew. I mean, you know the way Al Cap draws. Um, right. You know the way Schultz draws. Um, so that, that that was kind of a, a door opening for me. And I, I, I like those particular, um, you know, funny papers, comic strips and whatnot, look forward to the big uh, color ones in the Sunday paper and the whole shop. And that's, that's where I started into it. And then um, I think uh, when I did that story for Jim on his uh, nostalgia blog, I, I, I delved in a little bit. I was sicker than a dog as a kid in, in uh, school. My mother felt for me and uh, brought me a stack of a couple of dozen comics. And that's the very first time I was introduced to actual comic books. And um a couple of the ones that I specifically remember were Conan the Barbarian, the man thing. That's where I really got interested in the man thing. Um, and that's where I first discovered Mike Fluke. Um, mm-hmm. oh, okay. So, so, so it went from there. Then um, Swamp Thing came out. I, I was thinking, oh, you know, DC's just, you know, capitalizing on, on the popularity of the man thing at the time back in the 70s. Come to find out, however, that Man Thing was actually made in was published in May of '71, um, and uh, it was until August or September that the first Swamp Thing came out. It was just nothing but a coincidence. I think there's still something there that somebody's not saying something because they, there's a lot of things that parallel. But um, Swamp Thing did come out later. But I never did like Swamp Thing. I've got them all. Um, I've got those ten issues that Wrightson did still haven't read them because i just don't like the swamp thing that much <laughs> and uh to be honest with you man things uh you know third or fourth tier character in the Mar- marvel universe yeah. you know he's, he's he's pretty wimpy to you know get him outside of the swamp and you know he just uh you know he's a puddle he, he's no good plus daredevil but, could just beat him up because he doesn't you know, know fear a lot of people can <laughs> in the swamp, you know not not too much so that, that's starting at his touch <laughs> And then, and then naturally, with those comics, I started, you know, finding out just like with the uh, the funny papers, is that I started seeing the various uh, signatures of artists. Uh, naturally, that graduated into my discovering in my um, parents' uh, nightstands my father's stash of Playboys. So, obviously, I, I I I was amazed at 
Gone Wilson and Will Elder with the little Annie Fanny and stuff like that. And I could pick them out right away, among other things in Playboy. Like, you know. <laughs> um, those, yeah, the, that, that art is really good, though. Uh, some of it is. Gone Wilson, I had never seen anything like Gone Wilson before. That just that was like I was on acid. I had no idea what the hell what he, he was doing. He had some weird-ass crap, and, and I had many a nightmare reading those things from Playboy. Was uh, Harvey Kurtzman still doing stuff for them uh, at that point? I... I don't know, to be honest with you. I have no idea. Okay. All right. All right. Thought I'd ask. Then it graduated to, then all of a sudden Marvel started uh, with their magazines. Right. Um, you know, the, uh, um, uh, uh, crap, um, Savage, Savage Tales Sav- and uh, yeah, the Savage zombie Tales. magazines and the Dracula yeah. ones and whatnot. And all of a sudden there's a, what I, which I didn't see before, but there was the origin story in Savage Tales of the man thing mm-hmm. uh, with Ray Morrow doing the, the uh, artwork. Yeah. Um, very cool stuff. I wish I would have met that guy because I really would have liked to have talked to that guy being that he was the first one that did man thing, but he had passed away. Um, so then with those Marvel magazines, I really got into, you know, seeing even more of the signatures of the artist itself. And then comes along when I, just before I got into high school, which is dating myself, heavy metal comes out. Right. So so I got introduced to Mobius and Bilal and Corbin, who was a freak himself. Yeah. Um, and Tarna. <laughs> <laughs> and all those guys. And those heavy metal magazines naturally went to the Eeries and the famous monsters and the uh, creepies and whatnot. And that's where I first saw uh, Wrights. Mm. Um, and by that time, even though I was, you know, barely a teenager, I could pick out a lot of different types of artists. I, I knew who they were. Um, the thing with writing was the fact that I had read so many different stories from Creepy and Eerie. It's not like there was a ton of them, but there was actually only a couple of dozen stories in those magazines. The thing is, is that I saw his name attached to different stories, and I saw different styles for each story. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, pen and ink stuff, really detailed stuff, washes, uh, markers, uh, the whole shot. And that's when I really started studying the art itself. And realizing that somebody like Wrightson has such a command of his craft that uh, no wonder other people are, you know, learning from him, picking up his stuff. Uh, something that um, I think you know, Brian, is that, matter of fact, he did a little uh, piece on it not too long ago. Um, one of my favorite artists, uh, Eric Powell, he picked up a lot oh, of yes. stuff. Picked mm-hmm. a lot of stuff from Wrightson. Not only, did, not only that, he met him. And he was a pretty good friend from from what I understand. Had quite a few conversations with him. I, I've interviewed Powell a couple times and asked him about that, and he said, "Yeah, I picked up a crap load of stuff from uh, from Wrightson himself." I'll tell you and what, you, and thanks you, to you, Eric Powell. I mean, like, you can like, see it in artwork, no problem at all. Mm-hmm. And and even just subject matter with Eric Powell, because the goon is like, it's almost like it would be uh, Bernie Wrightson or even like Jack Davis, kind of creepy in the the EC comics. Oh yeah, absolutely. and thanks to Powell, I learned about Jack Davis, and I'm like, oh my goodness, how? how where was this? Where the? How did I miss this guy? <laughs> <laughs> at the beginning, oh, that's man. Where, that's where Wrightson got some of his stuff from from EC Comics as well. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, one of the things that I did, and I'll wrap this up. One of the things that I did is I knew that I had, I don't know where they were in my freaking hundreds of boxes of books, but I, I came upon an easily uh, uh, zapped. Um, copy of a Vampirella, um, Vampirella number 73, and it just so happens to have a Wrightson uh, work in there. One of his, did, he do, did he do Vampirella or? 
Um, I don't know if he did any Vampirellas, but he did have some stories in Vampirella. Like okay, and, uh, features. And, yeah. and the story that was in there, one of the backstories is a story called Jennifer. I think Jim might know that. Oh, I know this story. They made a oh. they made a TV movie out of that. Yeah, something. It wasn't called Jennifer, I don't think. I think it was called something else, but they based something off of it, yeah. Um, and it's a pretty common story itself. But the cool thing is, is that um, it's one of the rights and ones that I really remember only because he used so many different types of techniques, including uh, gray markers to shadow mm -hmm. his work. Yeah. And the markers in the backgrounds, I mean, it gives depth to everything. Not only does it give shadow and, and, and tone to everything, but the backgrounds, he just used the markers to add depth. And it almost gives a 3D effect. It's extremely yeah. cool. Yeah. Matter of fact, I have it right in front of me. I, first time I've read it in probably about 20 years. Oh, man. Excellent artwork. And you can tell no problem at all that it's right. I mean, there's, and it looks like a, a lot of different artists, too. But you can tell it's right right away. The, the, oh, the yeah. way he does his mouth, the way he does muscles, the way he does uh, positioning of his characters and the whole shot. So... <laughs> Um, that's kind of my history a little bit of, of, of where I went from from the comic papers all the way up to these various different artists. I can't say that Wrightson is my favorite artist, but you can pick him out every single time. Some of his stuff is gorgeous. Um, when I uh, I think I posted a picture on Facebook, you know, saying uh, "Rest in peace, Bernie" or something like that, and the image that I used was him on the ground, bent over or something. I don't know what it was. Um, but one of the ones that I really like, and I think Jim might even know this, it may be from Frankenstein. There's a there's a ship with some cliffs in the background and waves in the foreground. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it's one of the Frankenstein pieces that he did. It is gorgeous. I, yeah. I have no idea how long it took him to do that particular piece. It had to have been weeks just from looking at the lines. I mean, I, I, I don't know how he did it. I couldn't do anything like well, that. Yeah. With the patience to be able to do something like that. But it is a gorgeous piece. It's it's atypical Wrightson, and you just have to jaw, drop your jaw looking at the thing, saying, how in the world did he do something like that? Because it does. It looks like a wood carving. Yep. Incredible. And, and uh, one interesting note um, that I that I dis discovered this week as I was reading up about him, um, he did not want to use whiteout on any of those Frankenstein pieces. If he made a mistake, he started over. Oh man! Yeah. Oh man! So he wanted to, he wanted everything to be perfect with no whiteout, and you know no mistakes. So he said, you know, he threw he threw out quite a few pieces because he made a mistake at some point and had to start over. And, and I'm not an artist, and it's like, <laughs> and from a non-artist standpoint, I'm sure even those ones that are like horrible, or that he would think are horrible, oh, I'd yeah. be like, I'll hang it on me wall. <laughs> yes, I'd be more than happy to. Yeah. So the That's... last thing, real quickly, um, I guess it was about, wow, I'm going to say it was about 10 or 15 years ago is the first time that I actually met him, got his autograph. Nice. He wasn't doing any sketches or anything like that. Obviously, he's just way too popular, and he's not the type that you know just plug out something like that. But I get it. To, it was a it was a ticketed event. I actually won tickets to actually see him. Uh, was one of the first ones in line. I got about five minutes with him. Um, he had his creepy little upswiped uh, eyebrows. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but he was the most amiable, nicest guy in the world. Nothing like what he drew. I mean, it was a mm -hmm. black yeah. and white. But damn, was he was he was the nicest guy in the world. Nicest guy in the world. 
absolutely absolutely now brian you said you said you met him as well Well, i met him at i believe it was the same dragon con in, in atlanta that i met darwin cook oh nice and now they're you know they're both yeah. no yeah, longer with both us gone. and yeah. i like darwin it's like two different styles darwin was very simplistic silver age and but and again i mostly knew bernie Wrightson from frankenstein and a swamp thing and I just knew he was going to be there and I didn't think I'd ever you know be able to meet because he wasn't doing sketches either but um, I, I just had a the IDW swamp thing comic I think Steve Niles wrote it and he had drawings in it hmm. and I got him I got him to sign it and I'm glad I did nice nice and but that's one thing too it's like in about those big conventions it's like everybody's just huge long lines to yeah to meet to meet the people in the movies and again yeah. you know and I'm not discounting what they do but it's like there's royalty right there. Yeah. You know, I did it with, I remember Marv Wolfman, one of my favorite writers ever, was just hanging out. Yeah. You know, just no. like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's that's true. I see that a lot, you know. Um, you know, when I, I start doing conventions uh, now on my own as a guest, uh, you know, uh, sometimes it's the people that are I remember going to a convention in Terry Austin was just hanging out nobody was around him and you know everybody was you know flocking to you know whoever was popular at the moment I'm like good god it's Terry Austin you know it's <laughs> right. like represent how can, how can you not well you know want to talk to Terry Austin if, if you guys want Eric Powell's autograph I get it all the time I got it on like every he's in that he lives in Nashville yeah I, he used there to do uh, National Roller Derby. Yep. I got all, all the roller derby stuff signed. I got the Godzilla comics he did. I got those signed. Very you good. can't, like, you know, sling a dead cat in Nashville without hitting Eric Powell. Well, that, that's <laughs> well, that was the cool thing about, um, you know, Bernie. Bernie used to actually live in upstate New York, um, about an hour or so south of here, uh, for, for quite a number of years. And... When Fanuc, we first moved to Albany in 1978, and that was the year that uh, comic book store Fanico opened um, here in Albany. And the following year, they started putting on their own conventions here, you know, in the big convention center. Um, and uh, the second year of the show, which would have been 1980, uh, Bernie came. Um, cause I remember because he did the, they did. Uh, Reproduced uh, one of the Frankenstein drawings on the cover of the program. Oh man! And but so I would have been like twelve, maybe thir- maybe I had just turned thirteen, and um, you know he was he was there. I mean, there were lines to see people. Uh, I mean, this is you know thirty plus years ago. <laughs> Conventions were very different back then. Uh, there was. If you were wearing a costume, you were considered a fucking freak. It's <laughs> true. So <laughs> now you have to like now when you go in the door. Yeah, it's like now you if know, you're not wearing one. Yeah, yeah. And then you know there'll be somebody at Dragon Con dressed up like uh, uh, Gentleman Ghost, and you know they get hounded by me going Gentleman Ghost. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But but he was there, and I remember, um, you know, I remember. If, going up and talking to him and you know i was some you know snot-nosed kid basically but he spent like 15 20 minutes just talking to me i was asking him all questions about how to draw and uh 
you know, he just, he was just so generous and polite and kind with his time. And I'm like, I look back at the time, I'm not sure I appreciated it as much because I was, you know, 12 or 13. But, you know, as an adult, I was just like, wow. Uh, he was that was he was super nice to to do that because you know I had experiences at that age like uh, John Byrne especially who was and, I, and that, that just hurts my heart to hear how bad how bad of a person he, was. he is such an asshole that's what I've heard oh my god yeah, unbelievable like, asshole if you're gonna if you're gonna buy his original art you have to buy the whole book yeah. you can't just what? buy that's one thing I learned from uh, I was at a comic book yeah. store that I used to hang out at and they had a cover of one of the Marvel team-ups that uh, that Byrne and Austin had done, and it was for sale for like eighty-five bucks at the time, and I didn't have the money. I would have loved to be able to buy buy it, but the guy that owned the store, he's telling me, he says it's rare to find a single piece because he always demanded, you know, you have to buy everything, and it's just I, that's you know it could be an apocryphal tale, but I had heard stories about Byrne not being the kindest. Uh, of persons to run into at a comic convention. I've right. only met my bad experience was with Howard Shaken, mm. and yes. I've heard that a lot too. I've, it was I've just like I had my American flag, and I was like, I don't think I want to get this signed. <laughs> it, it, it was after I was like, you know, I'll respectfully decline. I was like, I just don't want to. Yeah. Well, I had a I had a run in with Mike Grell. If I tell you that. I, hmm. I think was he a bad guy? That, I don't know. Oh, I, I, don't, I don't think so. I don't think he was a bad guy. I think I touched. Lord. I think I touched a sore ner- uh, nerve on him. Uh, he was at that same comic book store. He was a friend of uh, the guy who owned the store, and um, he was doing an in-store thing. And I came in. And I had him. He drew up a drawing of Warlord with that cool sword that he had. Oh man. And, and and I have it somewhere. And I was sitting there, you know, he's working on it, and I was talking to him. And I made the mistake, because this was after he left uh, doing, he was just doing the covers of Warlord at that point. And he was starting to do that Star Slayer and that John Sable series. Oh, yeah. And, and, and he, I said to him, uh, well, you know, the guy that took over for you seems to be doing pretty good. And he looked at me, and I, I'm trying to remember what his name was. It was either Dan Jurgens or uh, Mark uh, Texeria, is, is that name right? Mm-hmm. It was. I can't remember which one it was. And he looked at me. He just, and he kind of leaned into me and he said, "So and so sucks." Man, <laughs> and I, and I, I'm a I'm a younger guy at this point. My eyes get big. And he says, "If it wasn't for and I think it was uh, Mike DiCarlo was doing the inking. I think he said if it wasn't for him." That stuff would look like shit, or however he put it. And I just was, Ugh. and then I think he noticed that I had that look of terror in my face, and he calmed it down a little bit. Because <laughs> how would I know? I, I don't know. I just see the finished product. <laughs> wow. Right. But, uh, yeah, that was that was. Uh, I, I touched a nerve on him there. Well, I oh, think if I remember correctly, he was kind of uh, booted off that book uh, at some point. Um, and, 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 and toys and replaced. From it. Well, he was he, you know, Mike Grell pretty much created Warlord. So that's what yeah. to say. You know, and then DC kind of pushed him out for, and I don't remember the reason. Of course, this was way back before the internet, so you know there was no, uh, just lots of gossip that you know you would hear at the comic shop. Of course, mm-hmm. uh, I remember something about that though, Douglas. I, I remember something. I, I've heard I've heard that same story about him getting booted off or you know muscle out or something. Yeah. You know, and you see, I was a Marvel kid, and I still kind of am. 
and and I was a Marvel superhero kid. So I the, the coming to Bernie Wrightson came much later, uh, as far as work, because I wasn't into yeah, Swamp Thing, yeah. and I wasn't and I wasn't into the macabre books. About my only concession to the horror stories was Werewolf by Night. I liked that one. Oh and, man! And that was Mike Plug in the early days, and he's Mike Plug was sort of uh, well, he was a contemporary of Wrightson, and he was sort of yeah, Marvel's yeah. Wrightson. Although Wrightson yeah. did do some work for Marvel, but not much. But um, uh, Warlord, Mike Grell's Warlord, was the first DC title that I started buying regularly, on the advice of the guy that owned that comic book store. I was saying, well, what DC title should I get? What should I? You know, DC seems kind of yeah, I don't know. And he said, well. Try Warlord because it's 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 different. It's not what you're going to expect of you know the kind of stories that he that's being done in there. So that was my first foray into just starting to buy DC titles, and then I soon yeah. started buying Batman. And, and it's weird. I'm a Marvel kid, but my favorite character is Batman. Isn't that the way? That's it's the way. Because I'm the same way. That's typical. Yeah. See, my first DC comics. I remember the first two I bought. One was a Warlord, and the other one was a Legion of Superheroes. Because yeah. I asked my brother what Legion meant, and he said it was a lot. And I thought it was like a good deal. <laughs> good deal for your twenty cents. Sorry, sorry. Oh, 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 goodness! I would know it was. Uh, I think the cheapest I remember was sixty. Oh well, see, so, that's how old I am. I think I think my uh, my first DC comic was Plop. Plop. Oh, yeah. That was like the the fun that's, one. Wasn't that's it? Wolverton, isn't it? Yeah, it had some Basil Wolverton in it. Yeah. I have Plops. Yeah, I love those things. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of twenty cents, I've got I've got to mention this because I, I read through that entire vampirella that I was telling you about, mm-hmm. and I'm looking for this thing. And here's the check this out: subscriptions for vampirella back in uh, when was it seventy seven? Uh-huh. Nine issues, entire years worth. Nine issues. How much? What do you think? Dollar fifty. No a year subscription. That's that's obscene. Uh, oh, okay. Four fifty. Twelve bucks. Twelve bucks. Woo. And that's a magazine. And and in nineteen oh, okay. and in 1977, that was a lot of money. You know, you could feed a family on 12 bucks for about three months. Yeah. Okay. Sure. <laughs> that's just for funny books. You can't and spend $12 I, on and funny And I think books. my parents did that, too, actually. <laughs> well, I remember when, when I was a kid, the first dollar comic my, my brother and I found. Because we used to go to the Ben Franklin is where we got our comics. And... It was a G.I. Joe yearbook, and it was a dollar. My brother goes, I'm never going to spend over a dollar for a comic book. Oh, yeah. I remember <laughs> that. Like, yeah, now you're lucky if you can break a five. <laughs> oh, if you, yeah. It's Ooh. just, I, I, when I, why in my day, when I started buying comic books, <laughs> I could get five for a dollar. And I didn't nope. have to pay taxes on them either. Yep, exactly. <laughs> you can get five. Oh, should have been buying them up like crazy. <laughs> See, I miss the, the, the 80 page giants of the DC. I have a friend that's a oh, huge right. DC fan, and 80 page giant, he said that's where it was at. And I was like, man. Now, okay, somebody. guys, okay, you guys are more current on what's going on in comic books now. Crap. Are you? That's what's okay, right I, I haven't. <laughs> I'm I'm seeing some of it through working at a comic book store, but we all, mm-hmm. we don't deal with the new titles, we deal with, you know, older titles but we'll oh, get the newer ones in after they've been out for a while but um it, it, it's am i just not noticing it because i'm not as exposed to it but does wasn't there more of a variety of artists back in those days back in that that even though comic books might have been having trouble uh with sales during the 70s and that but it seemed to me that there was a there was a greater variety of artists and a greater variety of looks is it are we still do we still have that, or do we 
is it they're sort of more it's becoming more homogenous and it's everybody's looking like the crappy artist Rob Liefeld or you know that <laughs> who was really thing. nice when I met him I'll be honest <laughs> well he, he better was really because nice. his, his art sucks so <laughs> see but that's the but thing he did about plenty well on it and and he yeah. got better he's see he's a guy that looks like he hasn't had any formal training and really 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 could have used it well if you look at his like hawk and dove comics from when he started he started at hawk and dove before he did x-force or new mm-hmm. mutants and it looks a whole lot better and, but and that was a that was the prime age when when new mutants and x-force came out well, yeah but and, how much is that as the anchor correcting his uh, stuff i gotta believe might, might have been yeah yeah. I gotta believe because you look at some. Well, totally. there's websites dedicated to how bad he is. Oh, I know. <laughs> the Heroes Reborn stuff was horrible. But, See, but I'm, a Jim, there, I'm a Jim Lee guy. I like Jim Lee. Now, is but is will. there a variety? Is do we have that now? Do we have, or am, is my perception just wrong that it's not all homogenous? And uh, Jim, you're 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 right to a degree. Um, there's a huge contingent out there, of um, I especially saw it in the '90s, <clears throat> that really liked the um, curvaceous hips and big boobs mm-hmm. and um, it, it all kind of fell into even though some of the work was good it all fell into a generic oh I've seen that before I'm going to copy this because it's popular and everybody's buying it type of thing which I never went for and mm-hmm. a lot of it looks the same They're which one of you guys posted the battle chasers thing. thing I did uh, okay <laughs> Yeah, because that guy Joe Madura, he his X Men stuff looks awesome. He's very it, good. He's a he's very, very good. good artist. I that, in his book, stuff. and I always like Battle Chasers. I like it's fantasy and it looks anime-ish. But that cover was horrible. It's it's. I showed it to my wife and I said, you know, this is what it looks like when you're an artist raised in the age of breast implants because you know she's <laughs> holding her boob with one arm as she's turned. And a boob does not a natural breast does not do what that's doing so if he purposely wanted it to look like breast implants well he did it right but Mm -hmm. she's just her body is so just wrong it's like she's either had you know not only is the boob a breast implant but her butt is she's either exceedingly bull-legged or she's had both of her hips dislocated she's just because it's just i i don't know it's It's like distortion it's not real it's not even like i'm gonna ask you a question here jim yeah. Um, are you familiar with uh, Rich Corbin's work? Yes. Okay. Rich Corbin was doing the same thing that they're that that, that they're, they were doing back there in the nineties. Mm-hmm. He did stuff that was really out there and weird. Now did he do heavy metal too? Was yeah, that? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, he did a lot yep. of heavy metal. Now, if if you remember his den or anything like that, he did stuff that uh, he did a lot of natural looking boobs and mm-hmm. eyes. Not, that did weird things when they were under duress or, you know, ass kicking somebody or mm-hmm. laying flat on your back or whatever. That was just, it was distorted. Sure. But, you know, so in a way, there there is precedent for it. I suppose. But <laughs> I looked see, at but, that and I went, I don't know. But see, now, well, John Byrne. Let's, John Byrne, I, I, I read an interview that he did <laughs> way back when. And he was he he was willing to kind of talk crap about other artists. He's one of those artists that would do that publicly because he kind of you know he 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 had a segment in this interview where he talked about the way artists draw breasts, and he said he says look when I draw them 
you know, he says, uh, it's not all just, you know, va va voom. You know, it's not these mon- monster breasts. He said, Scarlet Witch, she's got a big pair. Uh, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> that's a quote. The, the Invisible Woman. At the time, she was an invisible girl. She was more modestly breast, you know, you know, somewhere average. And Kitty Pride, flat as a board. I mean, that's he. He said he would do them differently. And he says, when you when Neil Adams draw a woman hanging upside down, her boobs look like they were still, you know, right side up. Uh, uh, Carmine Infantino drew his boobs looking like bananas, and you know, so he's just going to town on these guys. And uh, he would he was making fun at how you know. Uh, uh, George Perez would draw people arguing, and they took a picture of John doing a George Perez argument, face and hands. And well, he he would talk crap, but he I, I took one thing from that is that is you know v- vary up the size of the breasts on the characters. They're not all you know we we shouldn't be drawing stuff for just you know the thirteen year old boys to take to their rooms and be alone with. See, but with George Perez, though, it's like when I read his Teen Titans, I see a difference. Like, Raven mm-hmm. isn't the same as Starfire. Well, that's, yeah, Perez might have been one of those guys that also mm-hmm. did that. And, you know, Perez had some of the stuff that, um, uh, he's one of those artists that has some, what Bernie Wrightson had, and that is being able to do detailed uh, backgrounds and, mm-hmm. not, and not make it look messy. It's true. If there, yeah, Perez could do it. Um, you know, he could just fill in. He would draw stuff like like the patterns on book spines, but it still would work. It didn't look busy. It didn't look. You know, it was disciplined, and it didn't take over from what he was trying to do otherwise. And yeah. and that's kind of the same thing. When we, the one piece that I I did my last talk about in that little blog about uh, about Wrightson was that scene from the Frankenstein series or the Frankenstein book and it's that laboratory and it's mostly the laboratory and it's all you know it's pen and ink and it's all these different structures and and surfaces and textures I mean he's drawing glass and flesh and cloth and wood and stone and you know he's got all this stuff in there and he pulls it off with such you know, it's so adept with all that detail in there, and you still know that there's those two characters in there, and there's there's the confrontation that's happening. And if you look at the back wall, he's got like a little poster he's drawn on there that has some anatomy drawings on it or a skull or something that a doctor might have on his wall in his laboratory. Just the detail is astounding. Which is it the craftsmanship that makes it timeless, you think? <laughs> Because I think of George Perez, I think of Bernie Wrightson. It's very timeless. But when I think of Todd McFarlane, mm. and I have my own personal gripes against him, uh, but too. I used to love that Spider-Man art when I when it came out. But then mm. I go back and I try to look at it now, and I don't like it. Well, you but know, I like it, Eric Larson because he drew then, and I still like Eric Larson's Spider-Man. Well, Eric Larson was a better artist. Well, I, I think it, you know McFarlane was highly. Uh, stylized, and then he became highly copied. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. You know, uh, and so I think that that style kind of ran its course, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, now he started it. He was so. the it girl for his time, and that was real big, and he was real popular. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And you're right. A lot of people did copy him. I I want to I want to uh, uh, touch on on what Jim said. Um, I know that particular piece that you're talking about, Jim. It's a fantastic piece. Um, that Wrightson did, and it's it's what I like to call noise in the background. There's a crap load of noise back there. There's people that know how to do it, 
There's people that just do it to put something in the background so it doesn't just look like white space. Uh, there's people who do it to make it look like there's a background back there without getting into detail. And then there's the way that Wrightson does it. The way that Wrightson does it, to me anyway, is that he not only cares about it, but every single thing in that background is there that it makes sense. Mm-hmm. It all makes sense. It's just not put there just, you know, to be put there. He, like you said, he put a poster back there. It's got some kind of anatomy chart or something on there. It all makes sense. So yeah. there, maybe there's a crap load of stuff going on back there. But if you, you can get, and that's one of the things I like about, like I said, not my, he's not my favorite artist. One of the things I like, one of the things that I like about Wrightson is I can look at a panel and just look at it for, you know, half an hour. There's mm-hmm. so much to absorb from the thing, yeah. and especially that piece. There's so much stuff back there. You can get lost in it for an hour. No problem at all. And still discover stuff. Absolutely. So before we get too far afield, <laughs> as, we st- as we were talking about multitude of other artists, um, just to kind of bring it back around, uh, we talked about Richard Corbin a little bit. Um, and that, that kind of brings me to another segment of, you know, of Bernie's career that, um, you know, people may recognize that may not normally be comic fans. And that's, um, you know, uh, the Captain Stern segment from, uh, from the heavy metal movie, which was actually, you know, he'd actually done the story itself in heavy metal magazine and then they adapted it for the movie. And, um, you know, uh, they did, they did a Corbin story too in the movie as well. Um, but I think the, you know, the Captain Stern segment is probably one of the best segments in the it movie. Is. It's certainly one of the most memorable. With uh, a really good Cheap Trick song in the background. <laughs> Definitely. Cheap Trick makes everything better. <laughs> I'm right, Brian. Ten points. There, there we go. Oh, we made it an hour and five minutes in before we got any points. So, uh, Let me say something. I was in a time, y'all, that... The, the heavy metal movie was, was, was talked about in hushed tones. <laughs> um, and, oh, I loved it. And I saw, that's one of those movies I saw censored. I sat up till like 2 in the morning to watch it on TV. Mm-hmm. And, man, it was good. Yeah. That was one of the movies that a friend of mine and I, uh, one of our rated R movies, Sneak Ins. We were, yeah, well, there you see, we're there you quite go. old enough and we snuck in to see it. So Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But, but it was good though, and I heard that the magazine wasn't as good after, after that. I don't know. I mean, I, I, when I read it, it was just filth, you know, <laughs> and, and and I was just like, nah. I, I even like like I wasn't old enough to read it, but I was reading like a fourteen, and I'm like, nah. I'll just go back and read my Vertigo comics. There's nothing going on here. Mm, yeah, nothing to see here. Nothing I, to see here. I don't know. I mean, at a certain point, um, I think. Kevin Eastman from uh, the Turtles actually bought Heavy Metal. I think he's still the owner of it. He is. Um, he is. Uh, so I don't know. I don't remember when that transition took place. Probably in the nineties. Um, so, but now Grant Morrison's the editor in chief on it. So. Oh really? It's just yeah. Maybe it'll get better again. Yeah. Well, you see, Grant Morrison, you never know. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a crapshoot of crazy with him. Well, <laughs> It's like he might have done a bunch of peyote before he went into work, or he might have, you know, decided, you know, he's he's gonna be be serious today. 
Exactly, exactly. So I, I you know, I think we talked about, you know, the, the comics uh, part of his career, um, which he kept up with, you know, right up until uh, recently. Um, and but the other the other part of his career that he had a fair amount of success with was um, he started to get involved with movies and also with Stephen King um, and kind of kind of went hand in hand he uh, Stephen King actually um, when they were doing creep show movie with George Romero uh, said we want to do a comic book version of the movie and we want Bernie Wrightson to do it mm. so um, and if I recall they had some insane schedule uh, because they wanted to they didn't think of the idea until you know much later in the process and I think he only had like six months to put, you know, put it together, <laughs> mm. um, or or it might have even been less time than that. So, you know, and and um, the the Creepshow movie definitely, you know, took a lot from the EC comics, but there was definitely a Wrightson feel to it, um, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but 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 maybe that's partly, you know, that. Um, who was the guy? Uh, Graham Ingalls, ghastly Graham Ingalls from uh, the EC Comics, who definitely, I think, uh, writes and, you know, definitely had a affinity for, I think, just judging if you look at, you know, some of his work. Um, but uh, but Creepshow movie kind of started that, and then he started doing illustrations for Stephen, C- Stephen King projects, um, specifically uh, Cycle of the Werewolf, which, uh, you know, of course, became the Silver Bullet movie with Gary Busey. And uh, that's probably about the highlight of it. Um, <laughs> I love that movie because apparently I didn't know better. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the if you can find it, the um, original edition with uh, Bernie's drawings is just it, it. There's some really, really nice illustrations in that book. Um, I just remember when Preacher came out, I was like, hey, man, they stole that. They stole that from Silver Bullet. <laughs> there you go. They stole that from Silver Bullet. <laughs> but um, that led that led him to do um, more stuff in the movies, and and actually one of his most high profile gigs um, that most people don't even realize was um, he did a lot of creature design for Ghostbusters, the original Ghostbusters movie. I found that out after he died. Yeah, yeah. See, and, and you're and you're a Me fan, too. and you didn't know that. See, but um, I'm I don't remember. The only thing that I know specifically that he designed was the um, the guardian dogs for for uh, Gozer, the um, keymaster and the gatekeeper. Yeah, yeah. Those like those little hellhounds or whatever you want to call them that were <laughs> guarding. Uh, I know he did those, but I know he did a whole bunch of other. You know, creature designs for for that movie. Um, you know, uh, and and that that was kind of the start. He started working. You know, doing character design and creature design for Hollywood movies. After that, um, to varying varying degrees. Uh, I know uh, one of the last big movies he worked on was The Mist, which was you know a Stephen King adaptation. A feel good uh, movie. Yeah, a feel good movie. <laughs> And he worked on some character design for that as well. That was like I was about to ask if he ever did anything Lovecraft, and that's pretty close. Oh yeah, oh yeah, he did. Um, 
uh, he did a couple of Lovecraft adaptations. Uh, one of his most famous ones is uh, Cool Air, I think is the name of the story. Um, oh, man. He did an ad- adaptation of that short story. Um, but I think he might have done a couple more. Um, and that appeared, I think, in like Eerie or Creepy or one of those uh, Warren publications. Um, so, I mean. Can we just establish I missed everything good? <laughs> <laughs> well, we didn't want to tell you to your face. It's okay. It's alright. I can, I can, you I can to figure it. it out on your own. But but the thing is though, I mean, I still got a lot of his, you know, of his influence. The creep show. Yeah. Oh, where's my birthday cake? Yes, exactly. Oh, right. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know that 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 movie was was you know pretty good i thought I mean, and who played the dad in the, he worked on the sequel too didn't he creep show too um the dad because he had like the the kid had the comic and oh, he was like you're reading this horror crap oh. why do you keep reading this horror crap oh yeah 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 i'm He's trying to remember stuff. he was in night of the creeps and well romero uses a lot of the same guys over and over again it might mm-hmm. be it might be one of the one of his regulars i'd have to go back and look um, to to remember that, but I I, I know well, I, like E. G. Marshall was in it, but mm-hmm. and Ted Danson too. Yeah, that's right. Was in that. Well, I've not seen that one for a long time. And, and Leslie Nielsen can hold his breath for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody knows the movie pretty well. Yeah, I love that movie, and that's one of those many many films. Oh man, just video stores. I would just rent what was there. And I think I saw Creep Show two before Creep Show one. Oh. I saw Hellraiser two before Hellraiser one. I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> Don't even try that. That was I saw Highlander two before Highlander, and I was like, "This is okay." Until I saw Highlander, I'm like, "That was horrible." It was like really bad. That's pretty much. Maybe that's what we should do. We should just start with the sequels and work backward to the original movie, <laughs> and they would just get progressively better. Yeah, start with Godfather three. Uh-huh. <laughs> Don't do that. I still haven't seen that one. You're not missing anything. Uh, That's what I hear, but I I should see it to be a completist. (laughs) So it's like, the thing about Bernie Wrightson, it seems like he was on the fringes of everything I liked. Superheroes, horror, comics, just cool art, heavy metal. And And I think he was, you know, in the... WWE at one point. He was. I think he was Intercontinental <laughs> Champion. Out of here. For, for a couple. St- still real to me. Um, but anyway. Well, that's why he dropped the E from the end of his name. Exactly. That's... He had to, man. He didn't want to be mistaken. That's true. That's right. He, he, he hung out with The Undertaker for a while. That's Back right. in Memphis. <laughs> so, you know, un- un- unfortunately, you know, uh, that, that news just kind of came... Uh, uh, you know, on Monday that he had passed away. He had been suffering from brain cancer for mm-hmm. several years and been fighting that. And, um, and he was still putting out art, too. I think he did another cycle yeah. of the werewolf. Yeah, well, yeah, he was doing a, working on a project on Kickstarter where I think they were reprinting the, the artwork in a kind of a, a, del, a deluxe edition, and I think there was some new artwork and various things attached to it. It looked like a great thing. And that, and um, from what I understand, because I was kind of following it, uh, even though I didn't contribute to the cam- campaign, I was still kind of following, you know, Bernie Wrightson on, on Facebook. And 
most of the time it was his wife or one of his uh, partners, you know, posting. Uh, but, right. But, uh, you know, I think he had just about completed um, all of the signatures and stuff. I So I don't know if everybody got their stuff fulfilled or not but I, they were talking about that and then actually only just recently within the last month they announced he was effectively retiring and not going to do any more appearances or right and uh, so I, I when they announced that i was like okay it's not going to be too much longer probably see but this is one of those things like we were talking earlier it's like you know yeah. these people aren't going to be around forever no. And they've done so much. I mean, even, you know, Stan Lee, I would love to meet him. Yeah, I mean, he's starting to cancel a lot of appearances, too, so I'm beginning to wonder. Well, he's in his 90s now. Oh, yeah, he's like mm-hmm. 93 or 94. Yeah, definitely. And the funny and, thing know, is I've got, I've got stories about just about all these guys. I'm going to tell you a quick Stan Lee story. Um, I was looking at a bunch of uh, art cells from animation and whatnot at one of the cons. And um, this guy, um, I was looking at a bunch of obscure stuff, and this guy goes, he goes, you know, not many people look at this stuff. He goes, uh, kind of looks like you know your art. So I started talking to him here and there. And he goes, yeah, you really do know your shit. I go, yeah, yeah that's why I'm looking looking through this stuff that you don't sell at all. He goes, uh, <clears throat> he goes, you know, I, I can't make this, but it just so happens I have a personal, I have a ticket to a Stan Lee meet and greet um, uh, later on this, this afternoon. A, it's a personal thing. He goes, uh, you know, they were selling them for like about 250 300 bucks. And I go, yeah, right, whatever. And he goes, uh, would you be interested? I go, yeah, I'd be interested. Um, <clears throat> but I need two tickets because one of my buddies was there. And he goes, eh. he goes, come back half an hour. Let me see if I can get another one. So I got one. And I met with him. Um, <laughs> anyway, it was, a, it was about, it was a room of 25 people. And the air conditioning was actually going out in the room. And he was supposed to. He was in there to meet every single person in the room, sign some stuff. There was a bunch of giveaways and all kinds of crap. And it just so happened, he looked like he was, looked like he was older and shit there. And that was, um, I don't know, about five, five, six years ago. The air conditioning was going out, and he was getting hot flashes or something. He almost passed out. Oh, man. You so they, can't, they ended up canceling the thing, and they rescheduled it to meet with some of the people that he didn't meet with the next day in a lobby and whatnot. So... Got to talk with him a little bit that second time around, but everybody was really disappointed. But yeah, wow. He's, 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 he's definitely up there, man. He's he's up there. It's like we jump out and go, Excelsior, true but, believer, and sign something right away. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's like I say with with concerts and whatnot. Um, at this point in time in, in people's lives, uh, if you really want to see somebody, don't post, put it off. Yeah, I'll see him next time. Uh, get out there and see him. I want to do that with uh, Ray Charles. Eh, I'll see him next time. I was in Park City, Utah yeah, at the time. Yeah. I'll see him next time. A month later, dude, crow. Yeah. So I was well, thankful to see sure. one of my favorites, my first convention I ever went to, and it was Matt Wagner. And I got my Batman Grindle. He did a sketch of the a Batman silhouette with Grindle's eyes, and I was like, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it was like the coolest thing. And then the guy behind me was come, and he came back, and he was like, man. Yeah. Because we both got the same one, but it's on the wall right now. I'm looking at. That's why I, I'm like very grateful I got to meet Will Eisner. Um, you know, oh, cool. uh, oh, definitely before he passed, because and, and it was you know pure fluke that I was even in the right place at the right time. Uh, you know, I was going to s- s- visit uh, my uh, my brother-in-law in San Diego, and we were not planning to go to Comic Con at all. It just happened to be that weekend and then our car broke down 
Uh, we, we were planning to go to Universal Studios for the day up in L.A. And the uh, car broke down and we are like, eh, let's just stay in town uh, while the car gets fixed. And it's, oh, let's go to Comic-Con because you can't do that anymore. Uh, but this, was, two, this mm. was 2000 and you could still walk up to the door and get tickets and go in. And, uh, and I saw that Will Eisner was on the list. He was at the same time that um, Kevin Smith was doing the talk. I was like, uh, and I and I and I'm a big. At the time, I was a bigger Kevin Smith man. <laughs> He's kind of tapered off a bit, um, but uh, I said, you know what? I'm going to go see Will Eisner. I can see Kevin Smith, you know, another time, and uh, I'm glad I did. He was uh, he was awesome, you know, to, to you know to meet somebody that that's a true legend like that. And, well, some, uh, one of my favorite authors ever was Neil Gaiman, and still is. He's kind of tapered off a little bit too, but my wife got tickets to go do, do a reading in Nashville, and he he would only sign the book, right. and then one other thing, and and then Elena, she says, let me show you something. This is like a, like a music trick, and she just took everything. That's when my comic signed. I didn't want the book signed, and she uh, set him down there and just in the line, and he signed it, and then like his his handler or whatever noticed something, and then we were out the door. It was it was it was exhilarating. <laughs> Stop them! Get those back. Stop them! They have too many of my signatures. signatures. They have too many signatures. <laughs> too many signatures. Yeah. But yeah. they're my like, comics. That's too bad. I'm like, and I'm like, take that goth boy and just run away. <laughs> yeah, That's Douglas, funny. I was the same way with you and Will Eisner. I got the chance to uh, chat up um, uh, Ray Harryhausen. Um, oh wow! Oh man! Yeah. Just be- he passed too. It was about a year before he passed. Yeah. Yeah, from my heroes. Yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. And I yeah. told you, Douglas, the time that I that I sat down with uh, Mark Mothersbaugh, didn't I? Uh, yeah, you you mentioned that. You mentioned <laughs> yeah. that. I don't, uh, I don't I don't think any of the other guys uh, heard about that. I'll I'll, I'll tell it real quick. I, I was at a comic con, and it just so happened I brought some stuff. I heard there was a rumor he was going to be there, and I was walking around one afternoon, some Saturday afternoon. And there was this guy sitting at this table. Nobody was near him. All alone, the whole shot. I looked at him. And I just, I just did a double take. It was Mark Mothersbaugh. So I went over. I go, I started chatting him up. What are you doing here? This, that, and the other. And he was there promoting uh, Rugrats. Oh wow! And um, I ended up sitting there talking to him exclusively for an hour and forty-five minutes. No one wow. else came around. Holy it was hell. awesome, outstanding. Wow. I was talking to him about various concerts I had been to, and this, that, and the other when they. The very first time they uh, did the um, acoustic version, uh, version of uh, Now It Can Be Told. Oh, right. I was yep. there one of the tapings and the whole shot. And he goes, yeah, that was a, he goes, I didn't think that was going to work. And I mean, great. He, he signed a bunch of stuff for me and uh, uh, the old uh, cassettes, the old gold cassette uh, that they originally released in Japan for um, uh, the easy listening stuff. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. The, I got a bunch of stuff, but it was, it was cool sitting down with him for about two hours. <laughs> Yeah. No one knew who he was. That Some, was great. Sometimes you get lucky at those big shows, you know. Um, yeah, that's, well, that's I got Mike sure. Grell to yell at me. See, there you go. <laughs> there you go. I, I saw Kurt Swan once. There you Kurt go. Swan. There you oh, go. God. Teenage Kurt Swan. <laughs> Kurt Swan. You know, and everybody was freaking out about him at that convention that he was at. And I, I didn't have the heart to tell them that yeah, he's, he's a good artist, but... Uh, he's dull. I was going to say, look at his. You look at it, so many of his covers from back in his heyday, the DC, and it looks like everybody stand and pose, 
you know, on the covers. There's, you know, Marvel kicked ass because they had action, and DC was like, oh, maybe we should have some action on our covers. Uh, I tell you, he's just, and there was not long before he died, DC had like uh, Kurt Swan week, and he, he penciled all kinds of titles. Oh God, they just, man, talk about deteriorating talent. Mm-hmm. It just was. Uh, it's not my thing. Like I said, he's a good artist. He was really good, and he was important to comic books. But I just found his stuff to be incredibly dull. Yeah. Gentlemen, I have to bid adieu. Yes. Well, oh, it's probably no. a good place to. That's <laughs> probably a good place books. to uh, drop the needle anyway. Uh, so, um, all right. Do you have any final thoughts before you go, Brian? Meet your heroes. There oh. you go. I think, that's, I think that's awesome advice. Yeah, you, you, you guys met cooler people than keep people than me. Well, you're I, still young enough. That, I'm uh, still working. You know. By the way, Dr. Demento, I was going to get my picture with him at Dragon Con, and the, it was in the hallway, and security said, no, you can't do pictures here. And he taps me on the shoulder and says, sorry, friend, and walks away. No. <laughs> that's when you get it real quick and run. <laughs> I need to teach you some tricks. Hey, that's I'm the guy that got the Neil Gaiman signatures. <laughs> exactly. And yeah, all these the, guys was the autograph, came please. Me. It was weird. It was scary. It was a weird time. But and I had George Perez. He didn't get to go to one of my panels I did at Dragon Con, and he, and I met him at his booth, and he apologized. And I was like, "You, George Perez, man, <laughs> you did Wonder Woman. You don't have to worry about anything. You don't have to apologize." <laughs> he, he, but I got a, a sketch of Superman. That was the weekend I asked Elena to marry me. Oh. And she liked Superman, so I got a George Perez. Superman's ah, I got lucky. I got a drawing of Superman. Maybe I should ask somebody <laughs> to marry me. See, game. there you go. There you I go. Get that. So. There you go. All righty. Well, on the, punch on, Rob Laffield in the face. I didn't do that, but you know. <laughs> on that, on that <laughs> note, on that note, we've we've rambled we've rambled quite a bit. We'll bid uh, we'll bid good night to Brian. All right, night everybody. Have good fun. Night, Brian. And we'll and we'll go uh, twins. And we'll and we'll see. <laughs> there you go. Where are they going to go? I don't know. Uh, Behind my graves, probably. Lives down the street from you. Go harass him. Yeah, hey, you probably there. There was jokes with my friends. It's like you're gonna go stalk Eric Powell some more, and I'm like, I'm not stalking Eric Powell. I just happen to be everywhere where he is, exactly. with about 15 comic books to sign. He's stalking you. Hey, there you go. Oh, anyway. already y- y'all have fun. Enjoy. All right, good night, Brian. Right, good night. Take it easy. All right. Ah, there we go. All right. Uh, do you guys have any other last thoughts uh, before we wrap this up? Um, it, it, if you want to see something that's it's super awesome uh, example of Bernie Wrightson's brushwork, there's the it's 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 in the blog post I did. Uh, it's a zombie coming up out of the ground oh, that with a graveyard amazing. behind him. Yeah. I just I'm looking at it now. I just love it the way oh, yeah. everything flows downward it yep. becomes part of the ground he's coming out of it's just yep. his brushwork was fantastic his his pen and ink work his using of markers it just i'm telling you it's i have two reactions to great artists depending on my mood one is uh to be inspired i need to draw and the other is oh forget it put the pen down let the <laughs> professionals do it walk away yeah <laughs> And usually, it's that latter um, one. <laughs> You'll never well, approach that. My, my my final thought is after after doing a little bit of research on on, on rights and a lot of of which I knew, but I did learn a few 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 new things from him. I did learn that um, 
Uh, not EC. Uh, Warren put, or May wasn't Warren, maybe it was Dark Horse. I don't know. I think it was Dark Horse put out a publication of a, kind of a, a roundabout of a retrospective of, of his work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how much it is. Probably 100, 150 bucks, something like that. I'm guessing. Nice hardbound edition. Might have been. I'm gonna end up picking that up. And end up picking it up. All right. Excellent. Excellent. Well, it sounds like a like a good plan. Uh, but uh, yeah, there's a lot of good uh, Bernie rights and collections out there. Um, so if any of you who are listening to this are not super familiar with Bernie rights and um, Go on to Amazon and just look him up, and uh, you know I I can recommend um, you know the his run on Swamp Thing, uh, which you know is still uh, amazing, and and definitely if you are a fan of uh, good illustrations of any sort, uh, you've got to pick up uh, a copy of Frankenstein, uh, you know his his edition of Frankenstein with all, all of the. Uh, the drawings just in right. absolutely that could be pretty spendy. i think it's a little difficult to do right about now i think that thing goes for hundreds of bucks if you can yep. find it. but you can i think it is available on kindle you can get a kindle yeah. version of it for like 15 bucks so yeah. you can look yeah. at on the stuff on your device so. well i i'm sure that at some point not too far in the future somebody will re-release it again they really ought to <laughs> uh, you know because yeah because the uh, I think it was last I know Marvel re-released it at one point um, but I I want to say there might have been another publisher that it's done it even more recently than that but uh, I bought it for a dollar oh sure yeah <laughs> absolutely <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah, go check out his stuff, or um, even rewatch uh, Ghostbusters, and or The Mist, and just marvel at some of the uh, cool creature designs, um, you know, in in those movies. So anyway, on that note, we'll we'll say good night, and uh, you know, rest in peace, Mr. Wrightson. Uh, you've influenced at least everybody on this show. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Have a good night, folks. Assault of the Two-Headed Space Meals is copyright 2017 by Douglas Arthur for Dugside Syndicate. All other content is copyrighted its respective holders and is used under the doctrine of fair use. You can contact the show by sending email to spacemules at yahoo.com, or you can follow us on Twitter at spacemules and head over to Facebook to check out the official Salt of the Two-Headed Space Mules fan page for all the latest news, shows, and celestial ephemera. And don't forget to check out cafepress.com slash spacemules for all your Space Mules swag. T-shirts, hats, coffee mugs, you name it, we have all the highest quality merchandise you can shake a Zuni doll at. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes so you'll never miss an episode. All previous episodes are available to stream or download at spacemules.wordpress.com. Thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. Be sure to tune in next time when you'll hear my brother say... Would you recognize immortality if it knocked on your door, gentlemen? Obviously you wouldn't, but that's beside the point. I want this swamp thing, and I want the note. Now.